This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we're kicking off a new series called Inheritance. Um, And so we're going to talk about the stories that shape us. Now when it comes to an inheritance, we probably all have a dream that we'll get one, right? I mean, anybody, I know that would kind of be my hope. Um, I, you know, when it comes to leaving an inheritance behind, I tell my kids, like, we'll see, you know, Uh, because my daughter told me recently that she hopes I die first um, because she thinks that Angie will be more responsible with our money. And she said, if mom dies first, you're going to waste it all on a big truck and I won't get anything. (laughs) She's probably right. Um, and I told her with that attitude, it'll be two big trucks and two boats and nothing for you. Right. Uh, so, so we have this idea though of an inheritance. Like if, if you don't think one's coming, you, you maybe still hold out hope like I do that there's a rich uncle somewhere you've never met that someday you're going to get a a letter in the mail from a law firm. You don't recognize letting you know that you will never have to worry about money again. And yet for many of us, that isn't going to happen, right? When we think of an inheritance, we don't just think of money. We also think of the things we've been given by our family. So we receive a a physical inheritance, right? It's, it's why you can walk around and and somebody can say you're clearly so-and-so's son or so-and-so's daughter. It's why, uh, you know, when you were a teenager and somebody told you, look, just like your dad or just like your mom, you died a little bit on the inside, uh, even though it might have been incredibly true. There are other, we get inheritance from our, our, our families about how we see the world. We have an inheritance from the culture we grew up in, from the time in which we were born. There are all of these things we carry with us. Some of them we're proud of, some of them we're indifferent towards, some of them we're ashamed of, uh, but we all know that the stories that have gone before us are the stories that continue to shape us. And so you might be here this morning and feel like, well, you don't really have an inheritance that's worth bragging about. You don't have an inheritance that is, is worth being proud of. You really don't have one at all. And, and so over the course of the summer, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through some of the stories in the Old Testament, some of the, the heroes of our faith. And what we'll see is that because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, the stories that they lived now become the stories that we live. These are the stories that shape us. They are not just role models, but these are our spiritual ancestors. The men and women who've gone before us, who have modeled a life of faithfulness to the Lord, and now we have received that inheritance through Christ, and we get to live it out. We're going to start this morning with the story of Noah and talk about an inheritance of righteousness. Now, if you're new to Christian Chapel, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here, and we typically preach through um, our our series, kind of pick a a passage of Scripture, and we work through it for a long time, um, is is generally how that works. And so this summer is a, a really big challenge for me because we're doing one story every Sunday. And even this week, studying Noah's story, it's like, well, that is a 20 week sermon series, right? Next week is Abraham. That's like 47 weeks. So I don't know how we're going to compress it all down each week, but we're going to do the absolute best that we can. And so, so just know from the beginning, we'll be in Genesis chapter 6 this morning, Noah's story is much bigger than what we have time for today. And there's a lot of questions it brings up that we don't have time to answer today. So our primary emphasis, our primary focus this morning is going to be on the righteousness of Noah, 
how his righteousness is not just a model for us, but through the righteousness of Christ, we have now been invited into this new life with him. So we're not going to talk about all the species that were on the ark. We're not going to talk about if it was a global flood or a localized flood that appeared to be a global flood to the, the audience at the time. We're not going to talk about any of these things. We're not going to get in depth about the size of the boat other than a brief mention. There's so many questions that come up that we just don't have time for. Our primary focus is the righteousness of Noah and how he models for us what it means to be righteous in a wicked world. Now, Genesis chapter 6 kind of lays out the world in which Noah lived. We'll look at just two examples this morning. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And then again in Genesis verse 6, 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of of violence. Now, we often think that the, the time in which we live is the worst time at any point of history. Right? Have you ever heard from someone older than you as they, they look at the life that, that you're going to face of, I'm glad I'm not your age, right? I'm glad I'm not having to go through this. Um, as someone who's been on the side of a lot of those conversations, right? I, I hear it a lot when I go to pastor's meetings at times where older pastors will look at me and they'll say, I'm so glad I'm not pastoring today. I, there's just so many problems in the world. I just would never. If, if that's your approach to people who are younger than you, on behalf of everyone younger than you, please stop. Like it's not helpful. It's not encouraging. And, and really, I mean, if, if we want to get pretty serious really quick, uh, the world's always been bad, but God's always been good. Right? The world's always been on a path of destruction, and he's always had a path of salvation. So can you just calm down with the woe is me doomsday for just a little bit? Go back, turn off Fox News, go back to the scriptures, and see that God has a plan for the world. Right? It is bad. It is bad. I'll give you that. It's bad, and it's getting worse. But anytime we think this is the worst point in human history, all we really reveal is how ignorant we are of human history. And it, it, all that tells me is you didn't even pay attention in your own middle school history class. Because if you did, you would have heard about the horrors of World War II. You would have heard about the horrors of World War I, and you could have just went back and back and back. It means you, you haven't read the scriptures to hear about what exactly how the world is described from Genesis chapter 6 all the way through. The effects of sin in our world are pervasive, and it turns the human heart to where every inclination is towards evil all the time. The earth is corrupt and full of violence. And we, we know that's real. Even in the past couple weeks, this gets highlighted over and over and over again. Just a few weeks ago in Buffalo, New York, an 18-year-old kid walked into a grocery store and murdered people simply because of the color of their skin. Uvalde, Texas, another 18-year-old walked into an elementary school and murdered 19 children and two teachers, and no one still knows what motivated that. Just a little more than a week ago, three miles from Christian Chapel at St. Francis, a man walked into a surgeon's office and murdered four people because of the anger he felt in his heart and apparently the pain he felt in his body. Nobody has to convince us that we live in a wicked world. Right? We, we get that. We know that. We understand that. And when we're encountering it over and over and over again, for many of us, there are, are three common responses we have. The first is apathy. 
where we are just so numb to the wickedness of the world. Where you, I mean, just the, the next school shooting doesn't hit you any worse than the previous school shooting. The the next horrible thing that happens somewhere in the world doesn't affect you any more than all the other horrible things. Where something has to come really close to get your attention. Something has to come really close to stir your heart. But for the most part, we're just indifferent towards the suffering around us. We're indifferent towards the wickedness of the world. And and our approach is to disengage from it. And it's never been easier for us to divert our attention away. Right? Perhaps there's a, a correlation between the amount of time we seek pursuing entertainment and the ability of evil to run rampant in our world. Right? Because the enemy doesn't even need to attack righteous people. He just needs to distract them. And if he can just get you to turn your attention away, just to think, well, this is how it's always been. I'm not going to make any difference. I don't have anything to do with it. I guess this is just the world we live in. I'm just going to keep my head down and try to keep me and mine safe. And we just have this really indifferent approach towards the world. Other times we, we take a little step closer and we begin to accept this is how the world is. The world has always been wicked. It has always been evil. It has always been corrupt. It has always been full of violence. And so somewhere along the way, we make the decision, I need to learn to navigate this world. I need to learn to work within the corrupt systems. I need to learn to work among broken people. I need to learn to work and get what I need for me, for my family, for my friends, from those that I don't agree with how they're going about things, but it's just kind of the way it is. And then the, the, the last step in that process is just full participation, where we discover, yes, the world is broken, the world is wicked, the world is violent and corrupt, the heart of every person is given towards inclinations of evil all of the time, and we decide, well, if that's the way the world is, then I better get really good at it. And so we begin to see that we become corrupt, we become violent, we have every inclination, every thought is towards evil all of the time. And we become not just those who are apathetic or those who are accepting, but we become full, joyful participants in the sinful and wicked nature of our world. And in doing so, our choices begin to pour out into the world around us, creating an even more destructive and wicked place. But as we'll see in the story of Noah this morning, even when the world is as bad as it's ever been, even when it seems that there is no one righteous, that there is no one serving God, that there is no one following him, for God and for us, there is always another option. With Noah and the world that he lived, we find that he lived completely different than those around him. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. See, there can be a a desire in a wicked world for God to come and pull his righteous people out, to put us in fortresses, to isolate us from the wickedness around us. And yet we see in Noah's story that he was righteous among wicked people. He was righteous in the middle of a corrupt and violent world. Noah didn't have to move to the mountains. He did not have to move to the desert. But right where he was, among all of the wickedness in the world, Noah was righteous. Blameless among the people of his time. It doesn't mean he was perfect, but it means he was different than everyone around him. 
Noah models for us what Jesus would later pray for us in John chapter 17. Jesus said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What we see from Noah, what is affirmed in Jesus Christ, is that God's plan for a wicked world is that he will have righteous people in it. Right? And, and this is, so again, all these stories we're seeing in the Old Testament, in, in some way they all foreshadow the arrival of Christ and the work of Christ. And Noah foreshadows the arrival of Jesus as the perfectly righteous one, the one who is truly blameless. And so Jesus comes as the eternally righteous son of God to bear the weight of our sin, to offer free and complete forgiveness, and to allow us to live in a new righteous way, no matter how bad the world is around us. His plan for us, he tells us when he prays for us, is that we will be in the world, but not of the world. That we will live as his righteous sons and daughters. That we will be like a light in the darkness, like a city on a hill, calling others into the same righteousness that we have found and that we have discovered. Righteousness is the inheritance that Moses modeled for us that was perfected in Jesus Christ and is now shared with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what it means for you today is no matter what your family inheritance might have been, your spiritual inheritance is one of righteousness. In our, in our, our next service this morning, our 1045 service, we are going to dedicate a couple babies and we're going to baptize a couple believers. And it's, it's a really kind of great thing for us because obviously we all hope we grow up with a spiritual inheritance in our family of someone who loves the Lord and walks with him. But I know for all of us, that's not the case. Some of us grew up in violent homes. Some of us grew up in corrupt cultures. Some of us grew up in very broken places, raised by broken people. And we have just a kind of a, a warped way of looking at the world. But even if you weren't dedicated in church as a baby by a mom or a dad who loved Jesus, at some point along the way, Jesus has invaded your life. And as those who are being baptized this morning will testify, you have died to your old way of life and you have been raised to new life in Christ. And new life in Christ is always a life of righteousness. God's people are different. And he intends for us to be different and to stand out in the world around us. As you keep reading Noah's story, even that little description, Noah was righteous, he was blameless because he walked with God faithfully. If we want to be righteous, we need to understand it's connected to our walk with the Lord. There is no righteousness without walking with Jesus. And when you walk with Jesus, you will be righteous. Righteousness and walking faithfully with the Lord are two sides of the same coin. Noah's righteousness was not rooted in his self-discipline. It wasn't rooted in the family he was born into. It wasn't some natural personality trait that he had that you and I don't. It wasn't something he developed through his own effort. It wasn't something that he was just naturally gifted with. But Noah's righteousness was rooted in his relationship with the Lord. 
He was righteous because he walked faithfully with God. For you and I, if we want to live out our inheritance as righteous people, we have to make the decision to walk faithfully with Jesus. We have received new life in him. If you've been baptized, you were, you were lowered down and that old way of life was, was dead, was done, was gone away with. And as you were raised to new life, it's a new life, not where you now just hang out and remember what Jesus did, but a new life where you walk with him every single day. You see, when God chose Noah because of Noah's righteousness, God was actually choosing Noah because of God's righteousness on display in Noah's life. And when God chooses me and when God chooses you, it's not because of our own righteousness, but it's because we have been made heirs of the righteousness of Christ. It's Christ who is deserving. It's Christ who is worthy. And now he has shared this new identity with us. And so if we want to maintain that identity, we must walk faithfully with the Lord, which forces us to ask the question of, Who's discipling us? To, to, I, I love the phrasing that Genesis 6 uses. It doesn't say, Noah studied faithfully the ways of the Lord. It doesn't say, Noah worshipped regularly at the feet of the Lord. It says, Noah walked faithfully with the Lord. Making the point to us that Noah's righteousness was not primarily about religious observation or ritual. It was about his relationship with God. And relationships always involve investments of time. They always involve time together. And even that idea of walking with is intended to give us the picture of everywhere Noah went and everything Noah did, he did with and by the presence of the Lord in his life. For some of us, perhaps the reason we struggle to live a righteous life is we just check in with Jesus every now and then instead of walking with him. And what we are increasingly seeing in the American church is believers who are discipled more by culture than by Christ. Right? Where our primary investments of time and energy, our primary intake, our news, our social media, our entertainment, on all of these other things, and they are never neutral. They are all discipling you in certain directions. I had a talk with a, a pastor friend recently, and he was telling me one of the, the greatest challenges he's facing in his church right now is he's recognized that his church, the believers in his church, have been out-discipled by the culture in which they live. And they've adopted worldviews that they call biblical, but they cannot point to anywhere in the scriptures that those ideas come from. But they can tell you what their favorite commentator says. They can tell you where they found it over here. They can take you to the blog post. They can do all of these sorts of things. And his concern is if that's where they're running, in all of those investments of time, it's time away from Jesus. It's time away from his path. It's time away from his plan. So if we're going to walk faithfully with the Lord, again, it's not about just mere religious observance of rituals and routines, but it is about if I want to build a relationship with Jesus, I need to spend time with Jesus. His word needs to be a regular part of my life. 
I need to subject myself to the conviction of his Holy Spirit. I need to plant myself in a community of faith where others can speak truthfully and boldly to me. I need to put myself in a position where I have people around me who I can ask to pray with me, who I can ask to discern God's next steps for me. This is all part of what it means to walk faithfully with the Lord. And for most of us, if we're honest and we look at our lives in the the periods of life when we follow Jesus, when we have found ourselves acting in unrighteous ways, it's typically because we have been unfaithful in our relationship with Jesus. When you walk closely with Jesus, you will live a righteous life. Now you can attempt to live righteously without him and, and you'll fail in one of two ways. You'll either fail and and it'll be a spectacularly unrighteous experience or you'll fail in that you follow the rules but you just develop this hard, cold, self-righteous heart. The only way to keep a heart that is soft towards the Lord, that is soft towards those who don't follow Jesus, and to live a righteous life in the midst of a wicked world is to walk faithfully with the Lord every single day. And this is what Noah models for us. He walks faithfully with the Lord. And because of that, he's viewed in his culture as righteous and blameless. As you you keep reading Noah's story, you see that his reward for his righteous life was being asked to stand out even more. So God comes to Noah and and basically says, I see that you're righteous. I see that you're blameless. Uh, There's a flood that's coming. And so now I want you to build an ark. And, and the ark isn't this little small thing, but as you read through Genesis and you do some of the conversions, you understand the ark was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet deep. Noah's righteousness, it, it probably caused him to stand out in his relationships. And, and now, as God calls him to something new, building this boat is going to cause him to stand out in the whole region. Now, if if you've ever heard stories of Noah preached from or you've read different accounts or articles, you've probably heard this idea at times that Noah was mocked as he built the boat. We don't really know that that happened. As as you carefully read through the scriptures, you don't find any example of that. We're given one example in the New Testament where it says that Noah preached a message of repentance to the people of his day. But other than that, we don't know what happened. But what we know for sure is building a boat that size is going to take a while. And it probably involved the help of dozens, if not hundreds of other people. There was a site to be cleared. There were materials to be gathered. There were years upon years, if not decade upon decade of labor to build this boat. All in preparation for something that no one had ever seen before. Noah's reward for living righteous was being called to do something that made him stand out even more. And we don't know, but I mean, we can imagine in a world where everyone is corrupt and violent, there's probably some building materials that go missing. There's probably some tools that get taken home. In a a world where every thought of every human heart is given to an inclination of evil all of the time, there's probably some people making fun of Noah. It's not unreasonable that his neighbors begin to question his sanity. It's not unreasonable to think that he becomes maybe an object of ridicule or, or if nothing else, just kind of the crazy guy on the edge of town building the big boat. 
But what we notice with the ark is, is it's so large, it's, it's not a backyard project. It's not a little garage hobby that Noah can, can do and then just kind of unveil at the last minute. But God has called him to live righteously, and his righteousness is now leading him on a path of obedience that is making him stand out from the world around him. And for you and I, our, our hope often is if I live righteously in a wicked world, I hope that my reward is respect. I want to be esteemed for making difficult choices. I want to be admired for having integrity. I want to be looked up to for being faithful. And yet, no matter how much our culture or Noah's culture celebrates diversity and acceptance and inclusion, the moment you stand out too much, you will most often be rejected, not respected. This is what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says, you live as aliens and strangers. You're not following the ways of the Lord to receive or to achieve the respect of the world. And if you are, you're going to be severely disappointed. If your primary reason for pursuing righteousness is to try to build your business, you're going to be let down. If it's to build your reputation, you're going to be disappointed. Time and time again throughout the scriptures, throughout church history, what we see is in violent and corrupt cultures, when God's people live righteously by his standards, by his principles, and by his word, they are most often rejected by the world around them which causes us to stop and to evaluate, why am I pursuing righteousness? Am I pursuing it simply for my own benefit and simply for, for my own gain? Or have I come to truly understand that Jesus has the words of life and there's no place else for me to go? That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and I have to walk the path he's laying out for me. See, your inheritance of righteousness is, is a righteousness that has a steel spine to it. A righteousness that does not bend and flex with the whims and opinions of your neighbor. A righteousness that stands firm across culture, across history, across nationality, in every place, at every time. It is the righteousness of Christ. It's an understanding that God created the world good and perfect, and sin has thoroughly corrupted it. And now we, as God's people, are called to live according to his kingdom principles. We are no longer children of darkness we're children of the light and sometimes when light shines in darkness it's not always well received and so you may be rejected you may be mocked you may be ridiculed but your inheritance is one of maintaining righteousness even when it doesn't make sense even when it's not popular even when others start to look sideways at you and we don't know what all is said to Noah, but all we know is year after year, decade after decade, most likely, he just keeps building the ark. See, part of being righteous is hearing God's plan for your life and then faithfully obeying the things that he has instructed you to do. And if God has told you to do something, your job is just to keep doing it until he tells you to do something differently. 
And so it might be day after day and month after month and year after year and decade after decade. But part of being righteous always involves being faithful. It always involves being obedient. And it always involves pursuing God's path regardless of what others are saying to you about it. As you read the rest of Noah's story, you you eventually see that through his righteousness, God saves the world. Now, again, we've told you Noah is, is foreshadowing the work of Jesus. Noah is, is pointing us towards one who will come and save us completely and totally. But what I want you to understand this morning is because the, the, the righteousness of Noah is your inheritance, it means in a wicked world, your primary prayer is that God will use you as an instrument of salvation, not as an instrument of destruction. As you read Noah's story in Genesis 6 and 7 and 8, what you find is that there is judgment and there is destruction, but all of that comes from the Lord's hand, not from Noah. Noah's only job is to build an ark that will serve as a source of salvation. And for you and I, sometimes when we see the wickedness of the world around us, our our tendency and some of our desire is, Lord, I want to be your instrument of wrath. God, I want to be your instrument of judgment. Lord, put me in places where I can take care of the people who are acting in corrupt and violent ways. But for us as followers of Christ, our primary calling and our primary inheritance of righteousness leads us to look for opportunities to be instruments of salvation more than instruments of judgment. Now, there are places in our culture, there's There's law enforcement, we have military, we have judges, we have have all of these things that institute rules and we believe in those, we believe God ordains those, we believe God calls Christians to serve in those fields, but everywhere we serve, in everything we do, in every organization we lead, in every job title we take on, our primary hope is the salvation of a wicked world full of wicked people, not the destruction and damnation of them. Our inheritance is righteousness. And the righteousness of Jesus led him to lay down his life, to offer forgiveness of sins, and to invite us in. And so when we see the wickedness of the world around us, if in your heart you find your prayer saying, Lord, I'll take them all out. Stop this morning. Because that is not the inheritance of Noah. It is not the inheritance of Christ. Your job is not to pick up a sword, but to build an ark. And to go into a lost and a dying world and be a space of salvation. Be an ark of encouragement in a world of discouragement. Be an ark of truth in a world of lies. Be be an ark of honesty in a world that doesn't value it at all. Be an ark of peace in a world of hatred. Be an ark of unity in a world of discord. Go as an ark into your home, into your neighborhood, into your school, into your job. Everywhere you go, you go as the righteousness of Christ, with the righteousness of Christ. It's his job to convict the world of sin. It's his job to judge the wicked. It is our job to announce life has come. 
It's our job to bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and he is Christ the Lord. It's our job to go into a world of death and declare the path of life. Our inheritance of righteousness does not compel us to run away from society, to climb mountains and elevate ourselves above others. It compels us to go into the darkest places to encourage and to share that good news that life has come. The righteousness of Christ always turns our eyes outward. It always causes us to open our hearts and open our hands to open our homes, to open our churches, and to invite others into the new life that we've been given. Your spiritual inheritance is one of righteousness in a wicked world. Regardless of who your grandparents were and what they did, of who your parents were, regardless of what your past might say about you, regardless of how others might view you, when you are in Christ, you're now an heir with him. And you receive not only his promises, but you receive the inheritance of those who've gone before you. And this morning, I'm telling you, you have received an inheritance of righteousness. You can live boldly for the Lord in a world that is adamantly opposed to him. You can live without fear. You you can live without bitterness and anger. You can live without worrying of, oh, it's just going to keep getting worse. And you you can live with the confidence that Jesus has told us he's going to build his church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And his church is always going to be full of righteous men and righteous women who know the path that the Lord is laying out for them. And they walk in it regardless of what's going on around them. So even this morning, you might have financial strain. You might have physical problems. You might have relational needs. There might be just a cloud settling over you. There's all sorts of reasons that you think a life of righteousness is not for you. And yet the Spirit comes to us again today to tell us this is the inheritance we have received. It's the life that Jesus has made possible for us. And so now it's the life that we walk in and that we live in every single day. We can be people of integrity. We can be men and women of truth. We can be full of compassion and abounding in love. We can be quick to forgive. We can be those who turn the other cheek, who go the extra mile, who pray for those who persecute us, who give the shirt off of our back. Because this is what we've been given in Christ and it's the inheritance that we leave behind for those who are coming after us. Will you stand with me? I wanna pray for us. The band's gonna come back and lead us in a final song this morning. Jesus, we thank you today that as we read these stories in the Old Testament, they're not just moral lessons for us to learn, but because of your life, your death, and your resurrection, Jesus, these are the stories that shape us. These are the stories that we live. And so even now, Lord, as we look at the world around us, as we look at the environments in which we live and work, Lord, we see the corruption, we see the violence, we see that it seems at times as if every thought is given towards evil. But in that space, Lord, we know we have received an inheritance of righteousness. Lord, we know that Noah is not just a a story we read, but it's a way of life that we can live. That we have been made righteous 
in Christ. And we now share your righteousness with the world around us. So Jesus, I I pray especially for those in the room that as they confront the wickedness and evil in their world, in their heart, in their life, that they would not give in to apathy. They would not just accept that this is the way things have been. They would no longer participate in it. But Lord, that we would repent and we would take up our calling as your righteous people that we would commit to live righteously and blamelessly as we walk with you every day. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room and into our hearts. We invite you into our homes, into our offices and our job sites. We invite you into the darkest spaces where we confront the full effects of sin. And we ask in those moments that you would give us the ability to live righteously to stand for what you've called us to stand for and to open our hearts, our minds, our homes to those who are dying in a world dominated by sin. Lord, I pray if there are those here this morning or, or with us online who've not made a decision to follow you, they've never surrendered their lives to you. Jesus, today, may they hear that you are their source of righteousness, you are their hope of salvation. May they receive forgiveness of sins and walk into the new identity you have created for them as the righteous sons and daughters of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.